This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Well, it's very interesting to see what is coming out day by day about this White House concerning parents who want to make sure that their kids are not the victims of vaccine mandates and are not being taught critical race theory and taught in the case of white children that somehow they are white supremacists and systemic racists, those parents are actually good parents and they're actually heroes for standing up against the leftist activism in the public schools. But what's very interesting is to note how the story just keeps morphing. Now, you might recall that the Attorney General, Merrick Garland, was going before Congress not too long ago and was being raked over the coals a little bit because of this memo that he put out. And the memo had to do with making sure that the people who were showing up at these school board meetings were not intimidating or harassing school districts and they were going to get on it. And there was this letter from the National School Board Association and the whole thing was aimed at making sure that these terrible, horrible parents didn't do anything nefarious. And then it comes out that the National School Board Association actually was getting together with the White House over this. This was, I'm working my way up to the news here because you got to know the background. This was just a few days ago on the New York Post. The White House was actively engaged with the National School Board Association before that domestic terror letter. This is according to a memo that came out. Let me give you a little bit of background on this. They report the White House was actively engaged with the group before it sent a letter to the Biden administration asking that the feds investigate outspoken parents and likening them to domestic terrorists. That's from this internal memo from the NSBA, the National School Board Association. The October 12th memo raises serious questions about whether the White House ordered Merrick Garland and the FBI to investigate confrontations and other incidents at local school board meetings across America. It was made public just a few days ago, and it detailed at least one specific meeting with White House staff on September 14th, which was just over two weeks before the National School Board Association sent its letter to President Biden. So... The White House was not informed of this from the National School Boards Association. They actually were commiserating with the National School Boards Association prior to the letter showing up at the White House. So the whole thing was a setup. Now it even gets worse. It even gets worse. You will recall that Merrick Garland had to sit before lawmakers and talk about his whole deal regarding weaponizing the FBI against parents in America as if they're some sort of domestic terrorists. Keep in mind, there was never one incident mentioned in which a parent was acting in any way, shape or form like a domestic terrorist. And let's go back to some of what Merrick Garland had to say at the time that he was questioned by lawmakers. Listen to cut one. 
the Justice Department uh, supports and defends the First Amendment right of parents to complain as vociferously as they wish. I can't imagine any circumstance in which the Patriot Act would be used in the circumstances uh, of parents complaining about their children, nor can I imagine a circumstance where they would be labeled as domestic terrorism. No problem here. We're not trying to demonize parents. We're not going to use the Patriot Act against parents. We understand at the Justice Department that parents have a right to weigh in on their kids' education. Oh, wait a minute. An update now. Via an FBI whistleblower who has done a patriotic duty here in revealing this. This is via Zero Hedge, but it reports that House Republicans and the Judiciary Committee now have sent out a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland after the whistleblower provided a protected disclosure revealing that the FBI's Counterterrorism Division is compiling and categorizing threat assessments related to parents, including a document directing FBI personnel to use a specific threat tag to track potential investigations. They weren't kidding. When these leftists in the Democrat Party were talking about the greatest threat to America are these white people who are going to do all sorts of domestic terrorism against the United States. And, you know, you hear this kind of thing and you just giggle about it because it's so patently absurd. Then you learn what they're actually doing, and that is they're acting on this lie. They're acting on it, and the attorney general is getting before Congress and lying about it. Now, Representative Jim Jordan of Ohio was the one who came out and revealed all of this. He took aim at Merrick Garland when he appeared just recently on Fox News. When he was asked this question of Laura Ingram, so what do you think? Did Garland lie? Here's what he said. Cut to. Well, he either lied to us or he doesn't know. Either thing, either either one is bad for the country, bad for justice in America. Understand this as we speak. At this moment, the FBI is, not maybe, is treating parents as terrorist threats. And the attorney general came in front of the committee and said just the opposite. And you just played the clip. He says, I cannot imagine any circumstance where we treat parents or we give them the label of domestic terrorists. But in fact, the day before, as you pointed out, the day before an email gets sent out to agents across this country saying just the opposite. Say spy on parents, give them this threat tag, categorize, label parents. And when I first read this memo, I thought, this is no different than what the IRS did just a few years ago when they had the, remember the BOLO list? Be on the lookout for these kind of organizations using these kind of words. And they had a list of American citizens just like the FBI is doing now. So he either didn't know, which is terrible, or he misled the committee when he came in front of us. And we need to have him back, plain and simple. I don't think there's any chance whatsoever that he didn't know about this. He's the attorney general. There's no way he didn't know about this. He's lying. And Jim Jordan probably is trying to have an appearance of neutrality before they haul him before another congressional session, Judiciary Committee, uh, CONFAB. Uh, Fine. You have to say that. I don't have to say that. I think the guy's lying through his teeth. I think they all are. I don't trust anything from this administration. I don't trust them from the top to the bottom. These people consider you, a patriotic American, a problem. 
a domestic terrorist, if you will, if you happen to be a parent who opposes critical race theory or opposes vaccine mandates in the public schools. These people are out of control. They're liars and they're tyrants. And the American people better have had enough of it and better fight back to the best of our ability against these people and demand that our lawmakers get this guy out and hold these people accountable. What is the accountability that is going to be required of the White House? What about President Biden? Now, you could say, well, you know, I mean, come on, from all appearances, the guy is senile. So what in the world are you going to hold him accountable for? Well, if he's senile, he shouldn't be in the office, should he? But they don't want Kamala. We all know about that whole train wreck going on there in Washington. What in the world is going on? I don't want to hear, and I'm just saying this for the record, I don't want to hear one more GOP lawmaker, and I'm not impugning Jim Jordan, but I don't want to hear one more GOP lawmaker get in front of the cameras and make a big deal and grandstand and make a great show for YouTube, bringing these people before them and and saying tough things. Because you know what? If that's all you're going to do and you're not going to follow through and do what needs to be done about it, And I recognize that they don't have the numbers in Congress to be able to fully do what they want to do. I just am sick and tired of the shows. I'm tired of the shows. These people have to be dealt with and they have to be dealt with to the full extent of the law and they have to be dealt with seriously. We have to stop treating these people as if they're just a bunch of goofy uncles who come out of the closet once a, once a year and you see them talk crazy and, and say ridiculous nonsensical things and you have, it's just old Uncle Joe. Isn't he a hoot? I mean, he's just going to do these silly things. <laughs> okay, Joe, go back in the closet. You know what? The Joe we have in the White House right now is a dangerous man. He may be dangerous because he's out of it and he's just doing what they tell him to do. He's admitted this at how many press conferences? Well, I'm not supposed to do this and I'll get in trouble if I say that. Who's running the country? I think his initials could be B and O, but that's just me. It could be Susan Rice. It could be Ron Klain. But I think it all goes back to a president we remember very well, under whom Joe Biden served as vice president. But who knows? There's more to come. Stay with us on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Authorities in China are making life difficult for Christians. It's against the law to share Christ with children under age 18. We cannot preach to children under 18. That is their practice and law. But when the parents bring kids to the church, when you can teach them English and then you can send the gift of gospel to them, it is a great joy. Believers are teaching English to young people using a Bible League program that uses God's Word as the source of the reading assignments. And many are coming to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and sharing Him with their families. Please join Bible League in sending God's Word to bible believers in China and around the world for only $5 per Bible. $50 sends 10, $500 sends 100. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for your support. Maybe I can just have my baby. It don't matter what nobody says. 
This is the end of the story of a young mom who planned to end her pregnancy but chose life after visiting a preborn center. Preborn steps into the lives of hurting young women who are being told that a preborn baby is not a life. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country and the direct answer to Planned Parenthood, helping young moms choose life. I feel like it was meant for me to have this baby. This is something I give me for a reason. You can be a part of choosing life with young hurting women across the country. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 400 babies by the end of 2019. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. And now, through a match, your gift of $140 will actually help save 10 babies instead of five. All gifts are tax deductible. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. So now you have the Attorney General of the United States, Merrick Garland, who, scarily enough, could have ended up on the U.S. Supreme Court. Good grief. Can you imagine that? Yeah, I can imagine that. He was Barack Obama's pick. What kind of guy do you really think he's going to be? Some upstanding, honest citizen who believes in the Constitution and is determined to uphold the originalist perspective? Yeah, right. Now we learn from Jim Jordan, and we've got this letter that's gone out. Jim Jordan, the ranking member of the House Oversight Committee, revealing that this unnamed FBI whistleblower has disclosed documents showing that an FBI unit wanted agents to use counterterrorism measures against parents who criticize school boards. That seems like a really effective use of time. Now, let's just remember, for, for example, the FBI was warned about all of the sexual abuse of the gymnasts. You remember that? That whole gymnast scandal, Rachel Denhollander and Simone Biles were affected by that and so many other girls. And Larry Nassar, the doctor, ended up going to prison for, I don't know, 300 years. Who knows? I can't remember. What the, it was a long time. The guy was thrown away and they, they took the key and discarded it in the latest, you know, nearest river. At, at any rate, the FBI didn't want to get involved in that. Why would they get involved in that? Eh, you know, the FBI shrugs its shoulders when there are serious issues involved. But boy, they'll go after parents who complain to school boards. It makes me want to call for every parent who has a child in public school to show up at the school board just to see what the FBI does. You know, you can't arrest 40 million people or 50 million people, can you, FBI? Nor would you waste the resources to do so. We're going to call your bluff. It's outrageous. This is like East Germany, folks. How are you enjoying communism so far? Do you like it? I'm not enjoying it. I don't think anybody ought to enjoy it. Now, I want to bring you up to speed, though, on what else is going on related to how parents are being treated around the country. Here is some breaking news. This is very encouraging, by the way, out of the state of Missouri. The attorney general there, Attorney General Eric Schmidt, has filed a lawsuit against Springfield Public Schools for sunshine law violations after the AG's office requested public records from the school district relating to critical race theory and anti-racism teaching in the Springfield Public Schools. Now, the lawsuit alleges that Springfield Public Schools has publicly acknowledged they are instructing teachers and staff on critical race theory, stating in a December 2020 report, Springfield Public Schools reported that it had required the Board of Education, senior leadership team and equity champions. What a nice name. The equity champions to participate in a one day training from the facing 
Racism Institute as part of the 2019 Fall Leadership Series. According to the schools, one of the Facing Racism Institute's training objectives is to introduce the components of critical race theory from educational research with applications to the district. Further, the lawsuit alleges that at another training, teachers and staff were required to consult an oppression matrix. (laughs) Are you an oppressor? Find yourself on this chart. And then they had to identify where they fall on the matrix. Fantastic. That sounds like a load of fun. Did you put them in a Soviet prison cell after they confessed to their white crimes that they've never committed? Oh, and by the way, according to this matrix, privileged social groups include white people, male assigned at birth. Okay, you're not assigned your maleness or your femaleness. It's a recognition of what the child is, male or female. And get this one, another privileged social group, Protestants. Oh, yes, there's just so much privilege in Protestants. Uh, Of course, there are many Protestants who are below the poverty line, but let's not talk about them. They're privileged. Another figure presented to staff stated that covert white supremacy could be education funding from property tax. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I feel so much like a supremacist every time I have to write a gigantic check to the government, right? Whether or not it's income tax or property tax. Boy, it's so much fun. It's, It's such a privilege to be able to take our hard-earned money and hand it over to the government to do who knows what with. Oh, also, you can't say all lives matter. That makes you a covert white supremacist. Yet another figure that was presented to Springfield Public School staff at a different training stated that Make America Great Again or Police Murdering People of Color and Celebration of Columbus Day are examples of covert white supremacy. See, here's what needs to be said to these people. Forget it. We're not going along with this garbage. And I'm so glad to see that this Attorney General, Eric Schmidt, is taking the bull by the horns and suing these people. And the reason he's doing this is because he's trying to get information from them and they're refusing to cooperate. Gee, shocking, isn't it? Refusing to cooperate with the Attorney General's office? Yeah, that's what's going on. He put out a whole tweet thread. In fact, you can read it yourself. Eric Schmidt did. It says, the effort to indoctrinate our kids through the divisive lens of critical race theory is happening in the heartland. Springfield Public Schools has been caught red-handed and now are refusing to provide documents we've requested. He goes on to talk about the fact that he's now filed this lawsuit against the Springfield Public Schools. Oh, and by the way, do you want to hear a little bit from the superintendent of this fine school district? I don't know. He's a white supremacist because he's a white guy. I'm a little concerned about the message that's being sent here by the Springfield Public Schools to impressionable minds because I don't know if they've noticed this man is white. So he's a supremacist and he's dangerous. But nevertheless, this is what he had to say about this wonderful push for critical race theory in the schools. This is part of the evidence collected in this lawsuit. Listen to John Jungman. This is cut three. Our district has recently adopted Focus Area 5 to put an increased focus on equity and diversity actions in our system. Part of that is professional learning. We know that our learning really impacts our students and our community. As we think about the last year, there have been a lot of things that have been playing out across our community and our nation, whether that be COVID-19 or racial injustice moments against the black community that have played out in cities across the United States. 
our students, our staff, and our community have been impacted by those moments. We need to take time to reflect and continue to learn about how we use those moments to grow our system, to grow our students, and to make sure that this educational experience is the best one possible for everyone involved. No, you don't have to do that. You have to teach the children reading, writing, arithmetic, science, things like that. How about you stop trying to socially engineer little kids? There's a thought. Fire this guy, Springfield parents. Get this guy out. Get your school board out. Get your superintendent out. Get the administration out. Get out your equity people. Get them all out of there. Protect your kids. It's ridiculous. Oh, by the way, the presentation from the Springfield Public Schools also contained examples of covert supremacy. Uh, Another example of this is calling the police on black people. Oh, excuse me. So what happens if a black person is a victim of a crime by another black person? Is it covert white supremacy for the black guy to call the police on another black guy? Yeah. According to Springfield, it is. Oh, and this is my favorite one. Eric Schmidt says the training materials also identified color blindness as covert white supremacy. A reminder that MLK said, I have a dream that my four children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Clearly, Martin Luther King Jr., by this definition, is a white supremacist. Fantastic. You go, Eric Schmidt. I'm so glad to see that this attorney general is going after them. Oh, and they're also trying to charge exorbitant fees to get these documents. Go after them. Get them. Go get these guys in court. I couldn't be more behind this than I am. A couple of other things, though, I want to squeeze in before I run out of time concerning parents. Loudoun County, there's an official in Virginia. There's an official now that has branded a nonpartisan concerned parents group alt-right And that elicited some pushback from some black parents and some Jewish parents who said, how are we all right exactly? We're white supremacists. That's in Loudoun County. Then you have in Arizona, this is via the New York Post, police have launched an investigation into claims that an Arizona school board president kept a dossier on some outspoken parents who oppose mask mandates and critical race theory fantastic another fantastic moment in school board history it it's just it defies logic doesn't it these people are activists they want to socially engineer your kids no wonder so many christian parents are homeschooling their kids no wonder so many christian parents are saying whatever it takes to get my child a godly education based on the word of God, I'm going to get it done because I see what these people are trying to do in the public schools. And for Christian parents who are parents of kids in the public schools for various reasons, and I'm not upset about that because I think there are times when parents just make the best choices in front of them because situations are different. But you need to be aware and alert to what's going on in your local school district. And I would advise every parent listening, go to your school board meetings Ask your children to reveal what they're being taught in school. Ask them specific questions about critical race theory. Are you being taught that you're a white supremacist? Are you listening to some of this underrepresented people talk about, you know, LGBTQ plus people of color? You know, any of those kinds of phrases that you get from these leftist nuts. Ask your kids if they're hearing phrases like that, because kids will tell you stuff if you ask. The problem is a lot of the kids will not come back and tell mom and dad unless they're asked. So you got to stay on top of it, especially now that we know the FBI is after you. Well, they can't be after millions of people because we outnumber them. But how outrageous that this is the situation. Oh, and by the way, I'm not going to go into detail on this, but the last one I have 
This is unbelievable. Clark County School District in Las Vegas, which is the fifth largest school district in the country, is recommending the reappointment of a controversial sexologist to sit on a committee choosing sex ed curricula for the K through 12 students. This is from the Nevada Family Alliance, and I thank them for alerting. I can't go into details because it's too nasty. But this is what's going on in the schools. So we got to stay alert. By the way, before I run out of time, thank you guys so much. We have hit our goal with Heart for Lebanon to help these 52 families on the waiting list to get help in the refugee camps there in Lebanon. They are coming to the Lord. And they're getting the help and hope they need. The emergency supplies that they're getting are helping Heart for Lebanon minister to these families and introduce them to Jesus Christ. And your gift of $116 will provide one family with survival essentials for four months. These families will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and get discipled. The number 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499 if you'd like to give. Thank you so much. We'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Thomas Jefferson once said our legislators are not sufficiently apprised of the rightful limits of their power, that their true office is to declare and enforce only our natural rights and duties and to take none of them from us. Well, if only that were the extent of government today, but that train seems to have left the station a long time ago. Far from a small, limited government, what we have now, obviously, is a big, bloated government. And worse, we have our fair share of Americans who expect that the government is there to solve our problems. So therefore, if there's a problem, You look to the government to step in and do something. But how does that work out? And how many people who think that way actually examine government's track record on solving problems? Also, what are we to think about the political malaise that has set in as Americans are steadily losing trust in big government? We're going to talk about it today with Dr. James Payne. He taught political science for nearly 20 years at schools, including Yale and Texas A&M. He's the author of 21 books, including his latest, The Big Government We Love to Hate, Exploring the Roots of Political Malays. And Dr. Payne, thank you so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to join you, Janet. Thank you. How do you think America has morphed from the concept of limited government to the government we have today, which is sprawling and huge and wastes all kinds of money? What has changed, do you think, in our thinking to bring about the size of government that we have now? Yes, that's a big, big question. Uh, one of the biggest factors is the growth of uh, media and information. Um, in the days we're just talking 200 years ago, uh, there weren't even newspapers, so that uh, people didn't know much about what was going on anywhere. So they didn't form opinions uh, about what to do about faraway things. They just didn't have opinions about poverty, inequality, and things like that. So it's, I think, a big factor in this process is the growth of media that enables us to 
form opinions about faraway things we really don't understand very much about, but still we form a fairly definite opinion about it and and then say, well, if it's a wrong out there, uh, then government should fix it. Right. Well, there are a lot of people who think that way, and yet we have a tradition in America of localism that really there's been this understanding that if you have a government that is close by and more accountable to the people right in front of them, that that's a better way to run government. That seems, though, to be getting lost in the shuffle a little bit. Yes, yes, it's kind of surprising. Uh, I think one factor is that uh, uh, size tends to impress human beings. Yeah. Uh, if it's a big, like my dad works for a big company, <laughs> that's supposed to be more impressive than my dad works for a grocery store. Uh, so the big, the bigger and far away, interestingly enough, something that's far away, you ought to be more skeptical of something far away. Right. But sometimes humans, or a lot of times, they're, they're tending to trust a far away entity that they really don't know anything about. Whereas the lo- their local government, yeah, they know the you know the people, and they know they they're down at the bar and so forth. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, so now when when you're talking about some of these cultural presumptions that drive the growth of government, what are those presumptions? I mean, this idea that people believe big government can solve their problems, but they don't really look into it very much. What What do you think is going on in people's heads? Well, this, uh, right, this is the thesis of the book, is that for thousands of years, uh, really just about all human beings uh, have uh, assumed that government can fix anything. Uh, And, you know, where that assumption comes from is pretty deep, but one of them is that government is, is handling the guns in force, so that if you have guns in your hand, and uh, you assume if you have a good intention, then you ought to be able to impose this good intention. It should be simple. Um, that's, I say, one element of probably 20 different uh, themes that gets into this presumption that government can solve problems. And by the way, I, I don't want to contradict you, but uh, Jefferson shared this. Yep. Jefferson is the father of American public education, tax-funded education at every level, <laughs> from yeah. primary schools to universities. Yeah. Uh, and he worked like crazy to get government uh, tax-funded education going at all the different levels. Uh, he believed, uh, I'd say, he may say, I've quoted him saying, uh, you know, questionable things about government. But when it came to his own private project of, I want this thing done, he had a great faith that government could do it well and perfectly and efficiently. Wow. No, I'm yeah. glad you brought that up, actually, because that's true of other founders as well. Even though they, you know, believed in the limited government concept, there were some contradictions and some hypocrisy, too, like you just mentioned. Yeah, well, even hypocrisy is a strong word. Uh, I don't think they were aware of it. Yes, I, I cite at length George Washington and his uh, declar- uh, message, congressional message uh, urging all sorts of government programs. It wasn't followed because there weren't any resources at the time. But he wanted like a federal, national, tax-funded university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wanted agricultural subsidies. Uh, and he wanted all kinds of boards that were going to uh, collect scientific data and publish them and so forth. Uh, he had a great faith that anything that he had in mind, uh, government would just do it okay. Hmm. 
Well, it's interesting. I was looking at a quote here from James Madison in Federalist Number 47. He wrote, the accumulation of powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary in the same hands may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. Would Madison have taken issue, do you think, with the sprawling degree to which our government has, you know, ended? I mean, not ended for good, hopefully, but where we are now, do you think that that would be something he would be horrified by? Well, there, there's two meanings. Of, the old meaning of tyranny uh, was government was actually going around and arresting people it didn't like. Uh, that was freedom of expression, so that if you said uh, the, the king is no good or stupid, uh, your head would be cut off. That was the feeling of tyranny there, uh, at that time. Yeah. And they were just emerging from that, uh, the use of force to repress expression, really freedom of speech, press, and so forth, uh, so that the birth of the United States did correspond with the birth of the idea that there ought to be freedom of expression. Government can't go around, shouldn't go around, killing people that say things the rulers disagree with. Right. And that was the uh, repression or oppression that that they were thinking of and worried about, and they were correct that a, a pluralistic government with divided powers uh, couldn't be so effective in repressing uh, freedom of speech, freedom of press, uh, and and repressing the opposition. People, you know, you could have uh, two part couldn't have two parties in the old days. Yeah. So that's the uh, what you might call political thing. But the whole idea of can government solve problems? Can government do education, medical care, disaster relief, anything like that? Uh, they weren't aware of that as an issue one way or the other. I say at that early time, uh, those issues weren't really coming to the fore. I say for Jefferson, he was just beginning to get aware of education as an issue or problem. Sure. And as soon as he thought of it, he said, oh, government can fix it. But uh, other, like take uh, disaster relief. You didn't know if there was a flood in North Carolina, you didn't know about this in Washington. For weeks, hmm, right? Uh, so you wouldn't have a uh, a program for disaster relief the way we now do. Uh, it was just you weren't aware of those problems, right? So, in other words, going back to your idea before that media has had an awful lot to do with this, the fact that you can know about things instantly, and also it would seem have instant ability to express it and instant ability to contact people in Washington. All right. of that, it seems, changes the flow of our expectations in many respects, it seems. Right. Yep. Well, because uh, here I have to introduce, uh, I mean, it's it's our problem. We don't, we've got to be careful not to blame government because uh, it's, it's what we do. And what happens is when we hear about some faraway thing, uh, a little bit, say an employer has fired some employee in a way that doesn't look very nice, uh, we form an opinion both about that and then we form an opinion about all unknown cases like it. And then we say there ought to be a law. Oh, and goodness. That's, yeah. the, that's the superficial thing. We ought to have more humility about our ability to understand uh, large, faraway problems. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to pick up the discussion after this break. Dr. James Payne with us, the big government we love to hate. Stay with us. You're listening to Janet Meffer today.
For those of us who live in America, it may be hard to believe, but there are people in the country of Lebanon who have never heard about Jesus. That's exactly why Heart for Lebanon is there, working in the nation that's home to more than two million Syrian refugee families who have arrived there to escape civil war and terrorism. But every day, Heart for Lebanon is there, reaching out to these needy families in Jesus' name, telling them about him and providing food, Christian education, and survival essentials. And the Lord is changing their lives. Let me tell you about one of the those refugees, Hanifa, who is 10 years old. She lost her mother when she was just a toddler, but Heart for Lebanon met her as they were delivering food portions to her family. With no opportunity for formal education, Hanifa wakes her father up early in the morning when Heart for Lebanon's educational fun truck is scheduled to arrive. Recently, during a skit about God's love, Hanifa placed her faith and trust in Jesus for salvation. And now, because her father is illiterate, she's reading the Bible to him each evening. This family, although currently living in very tough times, is slowly starting to realize the hope that only comes through Jesus Christ and the hope that only reaches them because people like you give to get the gospel to them. Your single investment of just $116 helps someone like Hanifa and her family with supplies needed to survive the next four months and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. Perhaps you could help a family like this for an entire year by joining our Hope Provider team at just $29 a month. Whatever you can do, please call now. 888-247-5499. That's 888-247-5499. Or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner to click at JanetMefford.com. These families need immediate help. More than that, they need Jesus and they need you. Please call now. The number is 888-247-5499. That number again, 888-247-5499. Thank you. And God bless you for your generosity. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. So good to have you with us and great to have with us Dr. James Payne, author of The Big Government We Love to Hate. Where do you think most Americans are right now, Dr. Payne, on this issue of hating government or hating big government in particular? Yes, well, the the phrase love to hate is, I think, describes the, the uh, main uh, stream idea that is, the faith in government, which, uh, as you mentioned, this has been reported care- pretty carefully for uh, the last 70 years, uh, has definitely declined. If you ask, uh, do you trust government to do the right thing type of question, today, uh, overwhelming majorities will say no, they don't. But the, the fascinating thing is that this has not led to a feeling of, well, then we ought to use government less. Mm-hmm. That's the irrationality. It's like there's a restaurant and you go and you say, does it serve good food? Is the food tasty and nutrition? You say, no. And then you say, hey, let's go to that restaurant tomorrow. Mm-hmm. See, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but that's that's the uh, that's what I call the political malaise. Yeah. Uh, it's the, um, the love-hate thing. And the analogy is like with an abusive mate type of situation, they... A uh, woman comes into the psychiatrist's office and her face is <laughs> bloody and stuff. Uh, he says, well, maybe you should leave this drunken husband that's coming home beating you up. And uh, she says, I can't, I can't. Uh, there's a deeper faith there that's still operating. I th- and now it's, being, it's gradually being eroded, and the uh, size of the liber- what we call the libertarian movement is a measure of this. 
the libertarians are are those, uh, as I explain in the book, who have actually overcome this underlying, unquestioning faith in government. But they're still very small. It's still only two, five percent of the population that that really, on the next problem will say, no, no, don't turn to government. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, and even conservatives, and I can say this as a conservative myself, I think there's always been this discussion of why do we always look to government instead of ourselves to solve our own problems? Isn't that what made America great in the first place was this ability to work hard and save and create a life for yourself and achieve the American dream? The more you get government involved, the less autonomy you have for yourself, and that kind of undoes the entire scheme of America, it would seem. Absolutely. And secondly, the, uh, the second thing, and this gets into the strength of the Christian tradition, uh, that is, you not only help yourself, but you help your neighbor. Of course. And and you emphasize the word neighbor is somebody who's actually you see and know. So you form your little groups uh, to take care of whatever it is, drug addiction, homelessness, hunger. and But you know who they are, what they need, whether they really need what you're giving them. Uh, and that used to be very prominent, very uh, powerful. That's what Dick Tocqueville pointed out about the amazing ability of Americans to form these little local uh, voluntary volunteer groups. Yes. Uh, and that's, unfortunately, the growth of government. Uh, we now say, oh, well, government's taking care of it. I don't have to worry about my neighbor anymore. Yep. Uh, that's very sad. It is. And, and it's interesting when you were saying that people are beginning to say more and more, I don't trust government, uh, but do you want the government to do less? Well, no, not necessarily. And how that's that doesn't go together. Is it because they can't see an alternative that, in, in fact, this idea that we should be solving our problems to the extent that we can uh, without the intrusion of government, that that's not an option anymore? Do people just not think of that? Right, right, definitely they don't. Um, and uh, you, you, I mean, the, the data that show, if you go back and look 100 years ago uh, at the immense vitality of what we would call the private sector or voluntary sector, uh, but that's all been forgotten now. I mean, Benjamin Franklin, every, everything that government now does, like libraries, it's tax-funded libraries everywhere. Right. But that was all voluntary, private, philanthropic. It worked fine. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, well, and we've got libraries now with drag queens reading stories to three-year-olds, so I'm not sure that that's really worked great in a lot of cases. Well, the but that's, the point is that if that were a private volunteer, you could let the people that wanted that to happen donate to it. Yeah, they'd have their own. And then you and I wouldn't donate to it. We would donate to another that was following a different policy. But once you get it hooked onto the tax system, you can't unhook it. Uh, They get very, among other things, very wasteful and inefficient. Oh, yeah. Uh, But they can have also weird programs that really nobody wanted, except maybe one bureaucrat or somebody. Uh, Yeah. But you're right. You can't, once you go down that road, you can never get it back. And you go back to the original purpose of government. And I think what scripture says about, you know, the purpose of government is to punish evil and in some cases restrain evil. People have talked, for example, I know in my circles about, well, we should just have the federal government dealing with the military and the infrastructure, the roads, the bridges, things like that, and everything else, forget it. But but what, what do you do when people have different notions of what government ought to be? Here we have this Marxist strain that keeps growing and growing and growing in America. And you think, how does this ever work itself out in the end? Yeah, well, I think even your phrase evil might 
go a little too far because any you can see a wrong something that people are that's not uh, healthy and call it an evil and then as soon as you see that well if government's supposed to fix evil then you're back to government again well right uh, you have so, a biblical uh, definition and then you can have the you know twisting of the word for sure well yeah. uh, but a good example of this is prohibition I don't know whether where you stand on this but yeah. uh, this was a sort of right-wing program in which it was considered drink was evil and certainly they are in many respects alcoholism terrible problem so you thought you could bring in government to fix it yeah uh, and they did and that was a lot of Christian conservatives were pushing on that and we ran the experiment and it was considered to be a disaster yeah uh, but somehow people don't learn from experience and right. the next evil they see uh, they say okay Let's have another government program and outlaw it and yeah. enforce it and so forth. Well, and I think when I'm talking about evil in that context, it's, for example, you know, when somebody is burglarizing your home, you you can call police. If somebody murders someone in your family, you yeah, can have a jury phrase, trial. The, yeah. the phrase you want here is the use, the initiation of force, mm-hmm. physical mm-hmm. force. Mm-hmm. That's what burglary is, breaking into a building, murder and so forth. Uh but all the other wrong things that people do, uh, they sing bad songs or whatever, uh, that you and I may say, hey, that's stupid or that's destructive. That's not a use of force. Uh, okay, so, right, if you, if you kept it to that, that's the libertarian position. Government should oppose the initiation of force by private parties and foreign parties, foreign invaders. But um, if it's some other activity, like children aren't getting the schooling that you think they need that's not a use of force in there uh so you shouldn't be trying to use government's force to fix it well and and again we're getting back into the discussion about politics being downstream of culture and all those discussions that have come up in recent years but getting back to the issue of government being big is it the case that you can never really wind it down once you are so bloated like our government is bloated? I mean, what are your hopes for ever being able to curtail the power of government once it's to this point? I mean, you have uh, news reports this week, for example, talking about the fact that Medicare is going broke and Social Security is going broke earlier than they had earlier, you know, projected initially. What do you yeah. do when it's so big? How do you dismantle it? There are too many people who are counting on that size of government to keep them employed and fed. Well, the, but there's always, I mean, if, if you just want to cut back on it, I mean, businesses go out of business and their employees lose their jobs. Yes. Uh, this can happen. Uh, you can scale things back. And, and by the way, it has happened here and there. Uh, for instance, airline uh, prices and tickets and so forth were regulated uh, heavily regulated, like up to the 1970s, and there uh, was a move to deregulate that that benefited everybody. Right. Uh, so uh, we can take this program or that program and see, hey, this is not wise and so forth, uh, and scale it back. But uh, for the time being, there's such a, a, a surge, and of course, recently with the whole Biden thing. Um, I think we're we're in a, te- a temporary. This may be the last big surge of government, uh, and it was created only by the. Actually, it was created by the resistance to Trump. Unfortunately, yes, it was. Uh, if Trump had been a, a Reagan, for example, 
then we would be moving in another direction. But well, the, re- the reaction against Trump being so, and I'm not talking about his policies, it's just that his personality and his insensitivity is how he expressed himself and so forth. Well, that's, a th- yeah, no, so I understand. many enemies that uh, it brought Biden to the fore. Well, and there was a lot of propaganda, too. <laughs> there was a lot. I understand that uh, Pre- President Trump was not the favorite of everybody, but yeah. We're in a mess, for sure. The big government we love to hate, Dr. James Payne. Thank you so much, Dr. Payne, for being here. Appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. All right. You take care. God bless you. Thanks for joining us here on Janet Meffer today. We will see you next time.